0: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The conversation continues today, ladies and gentlemen, about the style uh, and the substance of the escape from lockdown. Health Secretary Matt Hancock is talking about safe workplaces being provided for staff. Plans for staggered transport systems to avoid rush hour are on the menu as well. And shift patterns changing around the country are being discussed at companies all over the UK. Meanwhile, the trialling of a new contact tracing app begins today on the Isle of Wight, which the government hopes will be the key to unlocking large portions of the economy. The expect to roll it out nationally over the next few weeks. Added to that, more and more tests for both antibodies and coronavirus itself are being developed. And as the numbers of new cases drop down to their lowest level since March, it really does seem as though we may finally be getting on top of this ghastly virus. This morning we're talking to businessman, former MEP Lance Foreman, about his plan for the economic recovery and a return to some kind of normality. 03444991000. Coming up, we'll also be joined by Susan Hall, the leader of the Tories in London City Hall, who has accused Mayor Sadiq Khan of suspending democracy by refusing to answer questions until the end of this month. We have invited Mr Khan onto the show. Uh, but we're not holding our breath, basically, as ever. Of course, we need to hear from you, the voice of the people. You can tell us what's been happening where you are, what you're doing differently, and what you're hearing from your employers as well, if anything. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Coming up on homeschooling today, we'll be learning all about how laws are made in the company of former Tory MP Nick Cuddeback, and we'll be getting more consumer advice on the latest online scams from our friends at Which. Plus, Gemma Godfrey, the Times Money Mentor, will be with us as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest great radio station on the planet. It is, of course talk radio mid-morning with mike graham talk radio now so sadiq khan is being accused of suspending democracy by city hall tory saying that during the coronavirus crisis he has refused to meet the london assembly for over six weeks and that my friends is unacceptable we went to the office of sadiq khan just before we talked to susan hall and asked if he would appear on the show to answer The charges that she is making and of course uh, you will not be surprised to know that he's declined our very generous offer Uh, but he has said this, a spokesperson for Sadiq Khan has said, this national emergency is the wrong time for this kind of petty party politics for the Conservative Party they know full well that the only reason the Mayor hasn't appeared in front of the London Assembly since the 19th of March is because they didn't ask him to. Sadiq has asked his Deputy Mayor for Fire and Resilience Fiona Twycross to attend the Assembly's Oversight Committee this week to answer questions on his behalf because he's exceptionally busy working with the government to prepare london for the easing of lockdowns, sadiq will be in front of the london assembly to answer their questions as usual at mayor's question time in two weeks time well susan hall is on the line so let's ask her if he's correct is it right susan that you didn't ask him no
1: absolutely not. i'm curious
0: to hear that yeah I, I wondered stupid. about that because what? it's a rather stupid statement to make if it's not true
1: well it, it is stupid Uh, It's stupid and incorrect. We actually said to him, we want what we call an oversight meeting, to start asking questions. We said to him, any time, you know, whatever day suited him, whatever time suited him, we would fit in. So, you know, he just didn't want to do it. it. I'm absolutely furious by that. It is incorrect.
0: Right. Well, thank you for correcting it. I mean, surprisingly enough, he uh, refused once again. I don't know how many times we've asked him to come on this show, but I think it's now in sort of double figures and he just never, ever wants to appear here. But he's more than happy to appear in other places where he gets a slightly easier time. But what is he being so busy about? It says he's exceptionally busy working with the government to prepare London for the easing of lockdown. Well, that's news to me. Oh, it's rubbish.
1: He's, I mean, he's present, but not involved, quite frankly. Right. The thing that makes me so mad, he's got the best job, in my view, in, in the country. And leaders lead from the front. Mayors are certainly supposed to lead from the front. It, he is absolute, he's absent whenever there's an issue. Everything is somebody else's fault. He's not transparent. In his first speech that he made, he said, I am determined to lead the most transparent, engaged and accessible administration London has ever seen. Well, it couldn't be it couldn't be more at odds with that, quite frankly. Yes. All we want to do, we want to, we want to ask him, why are London's uh, key workers still having to travel on overcrowded trains? You know, why have so many um, transport staff uh, lost their lives? I mean, there are so many questions on things that he is responsible for, and yet he won't stand up and be counted. If he's not prepared to be a mayor that will answer questions, uh, then he should stand aside, quite frankly. He's a disgrace.
0: Well, he really is. And when you think about it, I know that there are many people listening to this show who are not actually in London, but this is quite a big, important issue in London. The safety of train drivers, of of, of Transport for London staff, of bus drivers, uh, the ability of taxi drivers to come back to work and start driving around the capital again. You know, all of these things which are both medically important but also financially important need to be sorted out. And he doesn't seem to be in any great hurry to do that. No, he doesn't.
1: He's hiding like a chicken. I mean, I'm I'm disgusted by him, quite frankly. He's he's a coward. He won't come and answer questions. I mean, if you look at somebody like Matt Hancock, for instance. Yes. He's been on the television constantly. He's answering questions from MPs, journalists, the public. He does his best. He's he's on the radio or the television first thing in the morning. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's
0: working all hours, isn't he, Matt?
1: Yes, he is. And this has gone on for six weeks without... He has had no break at all. And I think he's had the virus in between. And he he has carried on working with Khan. You know, he'll go on to shows where they sort of fawn over him. But anybody that will ask him a serious question, like you would, he, he won't engage. No. This even what we need from a mayor, especially a mayor of London. For goodness' sake!
0: Exactly right. Now, is he being held to ransom by the unions here as well on the on the, on the kind of a, the Transport for London front? Because they seem to be um, holding all the purse strings here, or certainly pulling his strings about the return to normality on the tubes.
1: Well, don't they just? But wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice for us to be, have the opportunity to ask him?
0: Yes. Well, <laughs> quite. But, I mean, what's your view of what should happen in terms of the way that uh, there are any returns to work? Because there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that come this weekend there will be some conversations going on at government level about, you know, in a, either an ending of the furlough system or an opening of certain sectors of the economy, which will include me, meaning more people going to work. So we want to make sure that if people are going to work, they can get there safely and get home safely.
1: Well, we do. I mean, he's been calling for um, masks to be... Worn on the underground and yet hasn't supplied his own staff with them, which is a disgrace. If he thinks they're going to make such a difference, why on earth hasn't he supplied them for his staff? Um, Perhaps that will come in. I obviously don't know what's going to be brought in. There are numerous uh, workers in London that can still work from home, so that should reduce numbers. But we need to make these, uh, you know, the underground and that's safe because that's so many of our key workers, NHS workers, are using these trains all the time and they're such a reduced service that that people are being crowded in which clearly isn't safe no of course we need to know what he's doing and of course he won't come and answer any questions he's an absent mayor it's disgraceful.
0: and what about this deputy mayor for fire and resilience fiona twycross um there's a meeting this week supposedly of the assembly's oversight uh, committee will you be at that
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Keanu a good woman, uh, she's doing her best. But at the end of the day, she's a, a deputy mayor and the man that is responsible for London. Uh, and he's quite happy when things are going well. He'll take all the uh, credit. But if anything goes wrong, it's somebody else's fault. He needs to come in front of us. He needs to answer the questions.
0: Yes, exactly right. And I mean, he certainly seems to find the time to tweet out quite a bit. I dare say he's got an entire social media team that does that for him. But you know, he's very active on Twitter. I only wish he was as active in real life. Oh,
1: well, he won't be doing that. He's got so many PR people. I mean, he's got so several <laughs> PR people in in City Hall. Um, goodness knows what he's doing with his time. I still talking to the mayor of Tehran as we discussed last week. Right. Um, he's happy to talk to people like that. Um, that he's just not happy to answer questions that
0: he might not like. Well, here's his latest advice, right? This is from his Twitter account from two hours ago. Londoners must work from home where possible to protect key workers who need to travel. If you have to go to work, don't travel at rush hour. Well, that's great. What if you have to travel at rush hour? Because that's where people travel. You know, keep public transport safe for those who genuinely... We
1: we will all have good questions for him. Every one of the Conservatives. And to be fair, the the Labour... Um, group will be asking him questions as well. Yes. He needs to be accountable, and at the moment, he's an absent mayor. Not yes. good enough when we've got a, an emergency
0: on. No, it really is not good enough, Susan. Well, good luck with it, and thank you for uh, your time, and thank you for always being available to come onto our show when we wish to talk to you. Not because we give you an easy time, not because we're on your side, but because you are quite rightly questioning the veracity of what Sadiq Khan says what he does, what he claims to do, what he says he's doing. Uh, He reckons that he's busy working with the government uh, to uh, ease the lockdown in London. Well, that's come as a great piece of news to the government. I haven't seen any pictures of Sadiq Khan going in and out of Downing Street unless he's going back in through the back door, smuggling himself in because he doesn't want to be seen going in there. I don't see him working with the government at all. And I think, Sadiq Khan, for you to send me uh, a statement which has been described as a lie by Susan Hall, who is from the Tory party in the London Assembly, uh, is quite frankly not good enough. You are paid by the taxpayer, including me. I'm a Londoner. I live in London. You represent me. You should do the decent thing and come on this radio show and stop hiding because we'll find you eventually and you won't enjoy it. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A lot of people enjoyed that conversation I just had with Susan Hall. A lot of people thought she talked a lot of common sense, and that's one from Richard. Jeepster says, I wonder if Sadiq Khan got the idea from Andrew Cuomo in New York about reducing train carriages, as that's what they did. Uh, great call with uh, with Susan. Uh, Steve says, Sadiq Khan is a disgrace when he's asked about TFL or London. He just runs the dead cat strategy of blaming the government. He is never questioned for his actions in any interviews. I have no idea what he has got on them, but I just sit there and fume whenever he is on TV. Well, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and uh, Lord Happy says, I wish she was our mayor. She's hit the nail on Tuesday uh, where Khan has proved totally useless. Well, there's not a lot of support out there for um, Sadiq Khan, and quite rightly so, because uh, as I said, he has a duty to answer to the people. He has a duty to answer to the fellow politicians that sit in City Hall, and he has a duty to explain what is going on. And frankly, I'm not buying this idea that he's in conversations with the government about easing the lockdown in London. Why doesn't he tell us? Because I think if he did know something, he would probably give it away because he loves to stand in front of a camera and grandstand. Let's talk to my... Mike, who's in Uxbridge. Hello, Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Um, I, I, I'm good. But uh, the, the first thing I'd like to point out is
2: I think you misunderstand misunder- the level of digital exclusion there is for older people. I mean, they're all sat at home listening to the wireless. They're not listening to talk radio because talk radio is only available online or via the app.
0: OK, so, so you, you know of... this for a fact, do you? Yeah, because... How do you know know about every old person in this country, what they're doing?
2: I'm not talking about every old person. I'm talking about the most vulnerable people who are excluded. And, you know, that that significant minority of older people who will not embrace technology, will not be using it. What percentage are you talking about? Well, I think the figure that is bandied about is about one to one and a half million people in the country are digitally excluded, i.e. they don't have access to it. But that's not not actually why I I rang up. I I rang up about the app. Okay. Now, the problem with the app is that I want to know if I'm going somewhere, be it on a plane or into a supermarket or whatever, that people are being checked. They're being screened to see if they are showing active signs of COVID. I don't want to know, like I was on Sunday that having spent an hour in a queue in the supermarket in the range of probably 100 people with my Bluetooth, that somebody in that queue, and I know for a fact there was somebody in that queue, has had COVID-19. I want to be protected about those people, by those, from those people who have got it now when I'm doing something. There's no point in getting on a plane and finding out, days or week later that because your Bluetooth if you're stupid enough to have it running because it's not secure has uh, pinged to say there was somebody on that plane that had COVID-19 I'd rather be screened thermal imaging so that I don't get onto a plane or go into a building or go to a place of work onto one of Mr Khan's tubes which would have deserted yesterday and I stand a chance of not getting it. One of the things the app, they're saying about the app is that they are not going to tell you where you were when you came into contact with, with somebody. So you could have been standing in a queue as I was, you know, socially distancing, great, fine, I'm then told that on that day I came into contact with somebody who had the app. It doesn't mean anything to me.
0: Well, not it does, doesn't cases, it? Because man. it tells you that you should go and get yourself tested. That's, what it, that's the why, point of it. Why, why should I go and get myself tested? Because if you've been like, in, the, in, in, in the range with somebody who's had the disease, then it's a good idea for you to get tested. N- no, it isn't. Why not? Because
2: uh, in this particular case, yes, I know the person who had the disease, completely clear of it. All you're going to do is worry me and lots of other people to say the people have had it.
0: If you well, I don't understand Carol, why you would not want to be cautious about this, right? What's the problem I, I, with, being, I, I, with being told? I mean, you sound as though you don't want to be given information which might be helpful to you.
2: It, I, I'll be given information that is, I don't think is helpful. How do
0: you know me. it's not helpful, though?
2: If you speak to Professor Carol Sikora... And,
0: and I speak to him all the time. Guy. I spoke to him yesterday.
2: Yeah. yeah. He says that of the 200 people he tested, almost 10% were showing the antibodies. So, those people have had COVID-19. Yeah. So, what's the problem with them going out and doing their thing? There you isn't know, a problem. Ca-
0: there isn't yeah, a yeah, problem. Well, that's right. The app is, is more... Is the, but the app, you seem to misunderstand, Mike. The app is, is not the be-all and end-all of how we're going to end this business. However, it is helpful in the sense that it will identify for you the fact that you have been in contact with somebody who has had the disease. It's as simple as you've
2: that. Hit the, you, you've hit the problem, you hit it earlier... It is being promoted as be end. No it's not. Uh,
0: Nobody said uh, that. Matt Hancock was asked that are. question. No, Matt Hancock was asked the question yesterday and he said it's very much part of what we are doing. It is not well, all let, of what we are doing, it is let, part of it.
2: Let let's see those measures for screening, to stop us going in getting into contact, go into private spaces with these people as well. Because I can tell you that they are not properly looking at screening. They're not looking at alternatives. Well, they are but looking at they alternatives.
0: They're looking at all the, the possibilities of the things that they can do. And in fact, when airlines start rerunning again, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that's what happens, that you do get in some way tested for your temperature before you're allowed on the plane, because yeah. we've been told that that may happen. You may be ruled unable to unfit to fly mm. if it looks yeah, as cool. though you can't guarantee that you haven't got COVID. Yeah and so that would be uh, something you'd be in favour okay. of. Okay. Yeah. But if you turn up the app and the app
2: says within the last two weeks you was within Bluetooth range of somebody who had COVID nineteen, yes. has COVID nineteen, yeah. not has COVID nineteen, then they're gonna tell you not to get on that plane.
0: Well not necessarily. No, you don't know that.
2: Well this they are promoting the app.
0: I don't understand why you're so anti the app, Mike. Have you got you know, you've got some, something against the NHS? I don't know what it is. Why are you no, so anti no. the app? Why no, would you I, not want something that could be helpful to be operational along with lots of other things?
2: I I want to see all the other things that could be helpful being promoted equally.
0: Well, they I, will be doing I, that once they can do it. I mean, I just don't understand what your problem is, Mike. I'm going to let you go because Darren wants to talk to me as well. Darren in Suffolk. Hi. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. What do you want to tell me? Yeah, he seems a bit confused, doesn't he? Um, well, he uh, yeah, seems a bit. I mean, I don't understand why you wouldn't want something that could be helpful. You know, if it's not helpful, fine. But, yeah. it's, but having it is a good thing.
3: We have what we have. We've got to find solutions now. We've all got to get behind it and stop talking negatively. Yes. and Have a post-mortem at the end. Right. Now, I just wanted to give you some facts. My dad got a test on Friday for COVID-19 in a care home. Okay. He's still not got his results back. Oh, right. Now, Tuesday. Okay. So I'm just a little bit worried that although we've got the capability of testing... Mm. Um, it's not happening fast enough. Yeah. So there's got to be a better uptake. And this is something maybe you need to sort of bring up next time you talk to anybody about it. Yeah. How fast can we get these results back? I mean, it sounds like that's crucial. It
0: sounds like something's gone wrong there, doesn't it? Because surely you would expect it to be back before four days ago, wouldn't you? Maybe unless it slows down over the weekend, which it shouldn't.
3: No, exactly, which I can't work out. But I'll keep you posted. Yeah, do, yeah. Takes, but. In terms of uh, Mr. Khan, it seems obvious to me that, you know, from day one, if you've got uh, something that can be airborne even, you know, on board a bus, on board a plane, because my friend calls it on a plane through airborne, um, you know, not from two metres. Right. Surely you would want to use those 21,000 taxis, wouldn't you? With the screens, you would want everyone to use their cars. Yeah. So they weren't in, in contact with anybody mm. um, rather than getting on public transport. They seem to, until the public transport was suitable with screens and everything like that to try and protect people. But they seem to go around it the wrong way to me.
0: Well, it's true. I mean, if, if he's so keen on people wearing masks to go on the underground, why is he, as, as Susan Hall said, why is he not providing masks to the people that work on it?
3: Exactly right. Yeah. And, and also, you know, why aren't we trying to get all these masks that uh, the government haven't taken that have now been shipped abroad? All these masks could have been used and we could have all been wearing masks for the last month.
0: Yes. I mean, there are plenty of people who don't want to wear a mask. And again, it's, it's it, you know, sometimes it seems to me that the government must be being deliberately kind of obtuse and deliberately vague because they don't want to order people to do things. Because that seems to be the way that everything's rolled out at the moment. You know, like we, we see the streets of London a bit busier now than they were. I I don't know what it's like where you are up in Suffolk but you know it's almost as though people have made decisions out with the government saying this is okay.
3: This is busiest I've ever seen it I mean really? even in my village oh yeah in my village there's people you know all over the place and um there, there's no so- there's social distancing don't get me wrong but there's more traffic there's more pedestrians there's more cyclists than, than I've ever seen but hey you know what can you do at the end of the day oh, we're staying at home but like most people, but, um, you know, people get out and about. I don't see the reason why you can't get on a golf course, can't go fishing, can't do all these things if you're you're social
0: distancing. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to Ian Poulter the other day talking on Talk Sport. funnily enough, and he was saying that, basically, um, in Florida, all the golf courses have stayed open. Now, I'm not going to say that Florida is obviously the way forward, but but you're right. I mean, why could you not play golf?
3: Yeah, exactly right. Uh, You know, you could just say two balls, clubhouse not open, um, you know, you've got to have a tea time. Yeah. So you just get out your car, get changed in your car. Yeah. Uh, put your shoes on, straight on the course, away you go. Uh, they could turn the, the flags upside down, you know, the holes, so that the ball doesn't go in. You know, just the, underneath <laughs> the hole, it's just like a little lip.
0: Why can't but the ball go in the hole?
3: No, it still goes in, but it, do, it doesn't go right in the hole. It just goes in a little lip, and then you can t- take the, the ball out, you know, rather than a big hole. Just so you're not touching the hole, do you know what I mean? Oh, I see what you
0: mean. Yeah, well, I mean, I I mean, it's outdoors as well. So, I mean, it's less likely to to be in an effective situation, isn't it? um, Yeah, no, listen, I mean, I'm fully expecting this Thursday and or Sunday, uh, some point in between, uh, for us to have a lot of information from the government about what plans there are uh, in terms of what is going to happen regarding lifting parts of the lockdown. I'm not saying it's going to happen this weekend and they're going to start lifting things straight away, but I just do think, I just have a feeling it's no more than that, that that's what the government wants to move towards. And because the furlough period, the, original, the initial furlough period is coming to an end as well, uh, it seems to me that that will be quite significant too.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about
4: work.
0: Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, one of the things that we've been noticing over the course of the last two to three weeks is Matt Hancock's absolute and utter drive to get up to 100,000 tests capability per day. Uh, obviously, by the end of April, we did manage to hit that number. It was actually 122,000. Matt Hancock's now up answering health questions in the House of Commons from MPs about COVID-19. We're going to talk now, now though, to the CEO of Quotian, uh, a company based in Switzerland and Scotland, uh, because they are the people who have uh, now developed developed, we think, um, a very, very good and very accurate uh, antibodies test to see whether you have ever had coronavirus and to see whether uh, the antibodies that have been detected would prove that you are now uh, basically over it and that you are safe to return to your daily business. Franz Volt joins us now. France, a very good uh, afternoon to you.
4: Hello, Mike. Uh, nice talking to you. Yes,
0: thank you very much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about uh, the antibody treatment, first of all, because what does an antibody test actually look for?
4: Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, first of all, our test is already available. It's already CE marked. So it has all the necessary regulatory approval. And uh, in an infection, the body fights and hopefully defeats the virus. And in this process, uh, builds up antibodies. And our uh, test can detect uh, both antibodies, the IgG and the IgM. So the IgM is a a more recent one. Uh, This one you will have five, six days after infection. The IgG is an older one 10, 15 days after the infection. And it has a best in class uh, gold standard performance with 100% sensitivity and 99.8% specificity. So what that means, um, if you have a positive and it's 100% sensitive, it will detect all positive samples And the 99.8 specificity means the risk that you have a false positive is only 0.2%. So that's uh, best in class.
0: That's pretty low, yeah. So how far back does it go? For example, if somebody was to believe that they might have had the disease back in, say, January, would it still pick that up?
4: So the, the IgM uh, will pick up uh, five, six days after the infection. IgG, that's the older one, 10, mm-hmm. 15 days after the infection. But we have seen in our studies that we have a very early zero conversion. Uh, We had even patients uh, where the antibodies were detectable at the time of the onset of the symptoms, Uh, one day after the PCR test was positive and others four days after the PCR test was positive. So that's also best-in-class early detection.
0: So I'm talking, though, if you took the test now um, and and you thought you'd had it back in January because the test wasn't Mm -hmm. available back in January, but if you take it now, will it prove that you had it back in January?
4: Uh, Yes, it would prove, and in this case, it would be more the IgM antibody.
0: Yes, I see. And how is the test conducted, please?
4: It's a professional lab test, so it's not a point-of-care handheld test. Uh, So you have to go to your doctor and you have to give a blood sample and they have to send it to the laboratory. And uh, they will uh, do the antibody testing based on serum or plasma on an instrument called uh, Mosaic. Okay.
0: Okay. And what sort of turnaround is there for the result?
4: Uh, one instrument can process uh, 3,000 microarrays. It's on a microarray, so very high, highly innovative uh, technology. And it takes uh, 24 seconds from one result to the next, 35 minutes for the first result, and then every 24 seconds, every subsequent result. So it's extremely automated, high throughput. Right and one instrument, 3,000 tests per day.
0: Okay, and you have obviously headquarters in Switzerland, but you also have um, offices in in Edinburgh, or not not far outside of Edinburgh. Is this test available in the UK?
4: Yes, the test is available as we speak. Uh, Everywhere in Europe and Switzerland, uh, we have a CE mark, the factory is ISO certified, the instrument is also CE marked and it may be also worthwhile to mention here, this amazing test has been developed in close cooperation between our scientists in Edinburgh, Scotland and here in Switzerland. So amazing teamwork over the last couple of weeks.
0: Okay, because people have said to me that, you know, the coronavirus test just to see whether you have the disease right now is important, but in some ways the antibody test is actually more important for the future.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, scientists are still arguing, you know, and only time will tell whether the immunity is there with antibodies, and if so, how comprehensive is it going to be, and uh, how long will this potential immunity last? But I have seen a recent study from South Korea very, cle- uh, very clearly saying that there is little to no possibility that a reinfection could occur after patients had developed antibodies. So that's the first, let's say, um, a, a positive sign that antibodies are an infection is actually protecting we have to see uh, whether that's going to be confirmed as we go forward Uh, also if you look at sars uh, some people who had a sars infection they still had detectable antibodies 12 years later Mm. and it's not only the immunity check uh, for instance avoiding a lockdown but you also need antibody testing to develop a vaccine how else will you be able to check whether the vaccine works then also for re-vaccination if the vaccination doesn't protect you forever then uh, we're also in discussion with a pharma company for convalescent serum. So basically, they take the blood of infected of people who have been infected and are high on antibodies and use their plasma for transfusion. It's kind of a high infusion of antibodies, like an antibody boost uh, for uh, weaker, weaker patients. And I think it's also important for the epidemiology, so studies to determine the rate of infection in the general population.
0: Yes. And is your work showing you that the studies uh, that are currently being done about the spread uh, would suggest that the spread is definitely slowing? I mean, we've got the R rate here, I think, today announced down to uh, between 0.6 and 0.9, which is, which is a big improvement even just on a week ago. So I'm hopeful. I don't know whether you could share my hope that this is kind of uh, on the curve downwards now.
4: Yeah, that's uh that's what i see as well and uh, I think we can make with uh, diagnostics a contribution because you need transparency how else can you develop strategy if you don't know who ha- who is infected who not who has been infected and yeah. who not you you need uh, you need this intelligence for decisions
0: yes of course and and as you say uh, this would be helpful as well in the development of the, of the vaccine if, if somebody in this country wants to take one of these tests how do, how do they go about doing that
4: uh, well, we have to see mark since last Friday, and as we talk now, our uh, commercial organisation is talking to various uh, potential customers in the UK and Scotland, all over the place, so it's really ongoing right now as we speak. Okay. And if uh, one lab would like to use it, we can uh, facilitate it uh, relatively quickly.
0: Okay, because the difficulty in this country, it seems, is that the NHS procurement people um, need to have a very kind of complicated way of, of accessing these kinds of tests. And so, therefore, mm-hmm. it may not be possible to get it through the NHS, I'm assuming. You might have to go privately.
4: Yes, we are talking to NHS and we are talking to private labs in parallel.
0: Yes, okay, fantastic. And um, as far as the uh, the availability um, around the rest of the world is concerned, you're you're presumably rolling it out all over the place.
4: Yeah, it's we're uh, in discussion with uh, potential laboratories across Europe and the US uh, already. So there's a lot of interest, as you can imagine, and uh, everything is ready to go. So we have the instrument, we have the factory, and we can ramp up our uh, manufacturing capacity to three, 30 million tests uh, per year. And if really needed, we can also double this capacity right. within 18 months.
0: Okay. And as far as just the general question is concerned, the tests that they give here for coronavirus, which is the swab test where they put the swab Mm -hmm. down the back of your throat generally speaking people say that's not as reliable as a blood test do you think we should try to develop a blood test just for coronavirus as well
4: um, uh, that will not work because uh, the virus gets into the cells of the respiratory system, uh-huh. but it does not go into the patient's bloodstream, oh, and see. that's why those polymerase chain reaction tests can only be performed with material from either a nasal or throat or rectal swab, okay. and uh, it's RNA actually they're trying to detect, and it takes about um, uh, a couple of days, uh, so the RNA be- appears uh, two four days before after the infection, so before the antibodies. So you have the infection first, the body starts to fight. If it clears the virus out, you will not be able to detect the virus anymore because it's gone. And then you have to do the antibody test. Right. Oh,
0: okay. So, so we are kind of, as far as you could say, France, we are kind of making progress quite quickly now.
4: Yeah, amazing. I mean, everybody's pulling together. And uh, what it takes is uh, diagnostics. Uh, you need transparency, you need then a vaccine and uh, hopefully also a treatment. And if those three things are coming together, we will get this under control.
0: Yes. And how are things, if, if I may ask, in Geneva, in Switzerland? What's uh, what's the sort of atmosphere on the streets? Are people out and about? Is, is a lockdown still going on?
4: You know, it's, it's relaxing, and uh, uh, May 11th, uh, everybody will go back to school, uh, so uh, gradually people go back to work, uh, of course, uh, you are careful, uh, you make sure all the hygiene factors and social distancing is in place, and gradually you go back uh, to normal. So we see a relaxation of the situation, uh, but you still have to be mindful, because you don't want a kind of uh, yeah, a reappearance of uh, this virus.
0: No, exactly right. Well, listen, Franz, a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, Franz Walt, there, the CEO of Quotien, uh, a company based in Switzerland in Geneva, but also based here uh, in Scotland in Pennycook, just outside of Edinburgh, uh, which I know very, very well indeed. I've got a great message here from a friend of mine, Roger, in uh, Portugal, who says just hearing you talk about golf, see below the rules of Ray Golf, which restarts this week in Portugal. It's two balls only, but w- we will be back out playing. You hit the flag with you with your putter. The ball does not fall into the cup, so there are no shared hands in the hole one golfer per buggy or walk with your trolley or carry your bag we're out of the state of emergency in portugal uh, it's now officials called a state of calamity if all goes well restaurants and bars will open with 50 percent capacity of what they normally hold from may the 18th so that's portugal for you they were slightly ahead of us in terms of their lockdown much Bigger and more severe lockdown, I think, than we have ever had. But certainly there seems to be movement around the rest of the world. You just heard there uh, from France Vault that there's a uh, a lifting of the lockdown on schools, May the 11th, which is only next week. So uh, I fully expect there to be some movement here, uh, as I said, in the Thursday briefing, uh, and certainly by the time Sunday rolls around when Boris Johnson uh, is going to address the nation as well. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. The independent republic of Mike Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, it is that time just after 12.30 every single afternoon when we go homeschooling. So if you haven't got them uh, gathered around yet, go and gather your children around the radio. uh, Have a listen to what it is that are the pearls of wisdom today pouring out of it. And today uh, they come from a man who knows an awful lot about what he's talking about, Nick Dubois, former Conservative MP, former Special Advisor to Dominic Raab, also author of Confessions of a Recovering MP, a marvellous book which you should read now that you've got nothing else to do. Uh, Let's talk to Nick uh, right now. Nick, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, Mike. And uh, I, I, I hate the
5: build up that says I know everything because you know it's doomed <laughs> a disaster. Just
0: yes. a question for
5: you before we do this. Yes. Uh, if I'm the teacher, right, yeah. you, every time you want to speak to me, you've
0: got to go, please, sir, can, okay. I, can I ask a question? Got it? This is not going to go into some kind of really weird place, is it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, please, sir, Mr. Nick Dubois, could you please talk to us and tell us how laws are made in this country?
5: Well yes and for anyone listening you know when you ask the question why do i have to go to school for example that's because the law says so and who makes those laws and how do they get done let's mm. look at it that like, well, uh, you know, they, they have to be made in the House of Commons and the House of Lords, which are collectively known as the Houses of Parliament. But the idea for a law can come from anyone. It can come from an MP, obviously. It can come from the government. It can come from newspaper campaigns. It can come from all sorts of uh, sources. But To become a law, it basically has to be presented to the House of Commons, which is where the MPs are, 650 of them. And it's often presented by a minister of the government who supports the idea that is in this bill. And it is only a bill at this stage. It has to be approved by both House of uh, Commons and Parliament to become a law. So he stands up and he basically sets out what he wants to achieve by this bill. He or she, I should hasten Mm. to add, uh, uh, sets out what they want to do. And then it kind of goes through on the nod on what is called the first reading. No one really argues at that point. It's not about that. It's basically the government setting out what they want to do. Now, after that it will, no doubt, with some amendments that have been worked on by people in the civil service. These are the people who are not elected, but they work for the government. And, jo- and they'll come back and say, right, I now present this bill for a second reading. And this is in the House of Commons. And that is when all the principles and the grandstanding takes place. It's when the government will explain its virtues and how wonderful it is. And it's when the opposition will do their damnedest if mm. they genuinely disapprove it, to point out all its flaws and weaknesses. And at the end of that day, and it generally takes place over a day, the MPs vote on whether it should go forward to the next stage. And generally, the government wins. Generally, I hasten to add, not always. So then it leaves the chamber of the House of Commons and makes its way upstairs to a committee room. Now, a committee room is a basically a selection of probably about 22, sometimes 24 MPs Mm. drawn and selected by each party to sit and go through the bill line by line. Now, let me tell you what some might be thinking, Mm. given that, average bill can contain several thousand words, this can be the most tedious exercise known to man. Uh, However, it is a very important job because that's when, if you like, the detail is fleshed out and the opposition who have less members on this committee than the government members. So really, the government will always win. Mm. The opposition will try and get changes or or persuade the minister to look again at something. But at the end of the day, they've gone through it line by line. That committee then reports back to the House of Commons in what's called report stage. And what happens then is you see lots of amendments put down, people try to change things. The, the opposition, uh, currently the Labour Party, for example, will say, we don't like the idea of sending people school on Monday to Friday mm. and we're going to put an amendment down that says it should only be Monday to Thursday. Right, And they all vote on it, having debated it. And after that, the government will generally win, And it goes through what's called third reading. Third reading is generally a tribute to everyone who has contributed to it. It adds nothing of substance to the bill. It is self-congratulatory and it congratulates generally anyone who's even mentioned it in speeches or whatever. It's a ceremonial thing that can last as little as an hour or sometimes less than that. Finally, you might think, ah, it's going to become a law, but it doesn't. Because it has to go to the House of Lords. Now, this is the house where there are no elected representatives. They have all in either inherited some of them their titles or been appointed by various, uh, well, appointed technically by the Queen, but through the government or the opposition leader. And they go through the bill in pretty much the same fashion. And it is only when it is approved by both houses does the bill get sent up to Her Majesty, who when she signs it, it becomes an act of Parliament and therefore a law. But there is a catch, as I found out when I introduced a knife crime amendment Mm -hmm. uh, many years ago, which introduced mandatory sentencing. Because the Queen signed it, it doesn't necessarily mean the law comes into effect. It may be law, but it's not in effect. And, you know, the only way you need to bring a bill into effect is for the minister to say, right, I'm ready for that to come into effect. And that can sometimes be several months down the road. But that's the broad process. Any
0: questions, young man? Yes, I do have one question for you. what happens uh, on a sort of regular, shall we say, session of Parliament and how many laws are created? Because I assume a lot of the laws that we have are very, very old and have been with us for a very long time. And I know that most governments like to introduce laws, but, but how much law is actually introduced in, in an average parliamentary session, I would say, I suppose, you know, well- season? Well, that's a,
5: a cracking question, which I'm going Thank to you. struggle to answer numerically. But uh, to, let's let's get to the Hartley point. At the uh, an average Parliament lasts about five years. Right. And towards the end of the parliament that I was in, it became a bit of a zombie parliament um, because there were no laws being put forward. We were in coalition with the Liberal Democrats, and quite frankly, they weren't a lot of use, but it all kind of came to a bit of a sort of um, a, a quiet shuffle at the end. We weren't even in the House of Commons for much of the time, but... The, the complicated way of answering your question, which I have to do to be uh, absolutely candid, mm. is there's different types of laws. There's what we call primary legislation, mm. which is a brand new bill, a bill that might, for example, uh, set out that it wants, let's go back to schools, it wants schools to meet Monday to Friday. But inside that bill, there can be more detailed decisions that the House of Commons and the House of Lords grant powers to a minister just to say i want to do this and i want to do that and parliament's allowed me to do something like this at my own discretion subject to what we call secondary legislation which is when stuff literally goes through often on the nod uh, often by a committee approval process and doesn't need the full house and there are quite frankly every week You will probably have secondary legislation going through in the order of four, five, six, seven Mm. bits of secondary legislation every week. And MPs um, uh, don't necessarily get involved in every single one of those by any means. Major bills. Well, to, to be fair, the Queen will set out every year. In her speech to Parliament, which takes place on the throne in the House of Lords, she will probably set out anywhere between 10 and sometimes 25 bills Mm. for each year. So, you know, multiply that by five and you start to get an idea. Now, as a Conservative, I generally don't like lots of laws. Um, but um, but but as a rule, that is what you will hear in a, in a Queen's speech.
0: Okay. Well, this has all been terribly educational. I must congratulate you, <laughs> Nick, on, on explaining it so well. But let me ask you one final question. Of course, it has to do with the European Union. We've now left the EU as of January 31st, thanks to uh, Boris Johnson and the Conservative victory at the election in uh, December. But prior to us leaving the European Union, were um, EU laws passed upon us without the government uh, or the parliament of this country actually giving them the nod
5: well they would often come in the form of secondary legislation right. and it would and and that therefore also there's there's two forms well, there would be wouldn't there there's two forms of secondary legislation right. those that kind of need active participation of MPs and those that don't um they're called i think they're called positive and negative i there's something uh, right. like that that escapes my memory so an awful lot of legislation would come through the parliament, but it would actually go through the parliament either as secondary legislation requiring just a ministerial signature Mm. and nothing more. And I would meet ministers who would say, quite simply, I was bound to sign this into law and it didn't even go past the House of Commons in the fashion that you and I would expect. Now, it was an awful lot um, that went through. It had consent because basically the Parliament was willing to do it. And that is something, you know, even as an arch-eurosceptic, I have to acknowledge. But the means that it was done, of course, uh, uh, was most unsatisfactory. Mm. And when David Cameron came to power, he pledged that any legislation that ceded powers from the UK to the EU would have to be subject to what he called a, um, a a referendum. And that was his big statement before he ended up going the whole hog and calling for the referendum we had in 2016. Mm. So he drew a distinction between a lot of little laws that would decide how large a bottle of um, – we? Uh, what, whether we could sell olive oil in one litre or two litre yeah. bags or whatever it might be. And he went on to the big issues that if they took powers away from the UK, it had to go to a referendum, mm. which, of course,
0: never happened because, in the end, we ended up having a referendum to leave. Hooray! <laughs> Great. What a way to end. Fantastic. Nick Dubois, thank you very much indeed. Uh, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP. That's how laws get made in this country. Uh, and if that wasn't uh, educational to you, uh, then I can't help you more because I'm afraid that was brilliant absolutely fantastic well done Nick former Tory MP former special advisor to Dominic Raab we'll get you back on again soon uh, to talk about some of the other stuff that's going on in Parliament of course as well because tomorrow uh, we will have Prime Minister's questions I don't know whether Boris Johnson uh, is going to be taking them we shall see Uh, we shall find out shortly and as soon as we know you will know as well talk radio across the UK online on DAB and on your smart speaker the independent republic of my